Navigating the travel world doesn't have to be complicated. Whether you want to hack your points and miles, figure out where to travel next, or you just need advice on an ethical dilemma. I'm Aislinn Green, host of Unpacked by Afar. And in the brand new season, we are unpacking the most captivating and challenging topics in the travel industry, one conversation at a time. Topics like the sexiness of travel insurance and the perils of quote-unquote bad tourism, and even the secrets to flying with children and not losing your mind in the process. Listen to Unpacked by Afar wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This is The Secret Life of Canada, a podcast about the country you know and the stories you don't. Ah, six seasons into this, I thought we should start with Beyonce. That makes the most sense. Doesn't it? So if you remember back into previous seasons, we came up with this absolutely, well, I should say I did, came up with this tenuous historical evidence that because Beyonce's mother is Cajun, she may be distantly related to some Acadian somewhere. So she's kind of Canadian. Do you remember this? I mean, she is sort of. I'm going to say she is. Uh, she's Canadian. Mm, okay. I'm just saying it, you know. Um, but that's what we do here on Secret Life of Canada. We give you a real history lesson, you know, interspersed with some pop culture references and a few other tidbits that have nothing to do with anything that we're talking about. <laughs> that is right. Welcome. That is Yes, welcome everyone. For six years, we have done a deep dive into Canadian history that you may or may not know. And while we are depressing the hell out of you, we sprinkle in some ridiculous stuff because it's hard out here in these streets. And and I love Beyonce, but why are we actually starting with Beyonce other than for love of Beyonce? For love of Beyonce. This song is from Lemonade, which is her best album, in my opinion. And it's also called Sorry. And that's what we're going to be discussing today. I'm curious what your most used sorry is. Oh, I I try to keep it, you know, simple and I stick to sorry. But now that I live in Quebec, it's like I use désolé a lot because I'm I have to apologize for myself (laughs) here a lot, I guess. Um, So, yeah, I'm like désolé has entered my vocabulary. Okay, that's very cool. I mean, it makes sense. But what's your most used subtext of the word sorry? For instance, I say sorry when other people bump into me like like this. Sorry? Meaning, could you watch where you're going? I am sick of people Mm -hmm. like you walking through crosswalks looking at your cell phones, (laughs) dumbass. Oh, yeah. No, I I get it. I mean, sometimes I say, sorry? As in, what did you just say to me? Repeat what you just said to me. Because we might have a problem in a second. Yeah, I, I use that one a lot, too. I've also been known to do the, sorry... As in, <laughs> calm down, you took that way too literally and are getting a bit over the top of your reaction. Interesting. If I think about it, I think very few of my sorries have anything to do with apologizing. I do I do feel like we use it differently in Canada. Yeah, I found so many YouTube clips of people explaining why we say sorry, how we pronounce sorry. It's weird. I mm. also remember that there is this scene in that movie Anchorman 2 where they're having this battle <laughs> between all the anchors and the Canadians arrive. There's not going to be any fight without Scott Riles and the incredibly polite Canadian news team. What about the French-speaking Quebec news? The real voice of Canada. Give it a rest, eh? We're going to mop the floor with you. We're going to put the boots to you. Sorry. Sorry. We're going to gouge your eyes out and kick your head in. Sorry. Sorry. 
Mm-hmm. So the Canadians, by the way, were being played by Jim Carrey and non-Quebecer Parisian actress, for some reason, Marianne Cotillard. Anyway, that's mm, okay. That's okay. that movie. Like I, I know that Americans say Canadians pronounce it differently, but I mean, obviously, I don't really hear it. But I also don't think Canadians say it as much. But I'm assuming that that's why we're here today, and I'm going to find out. Yeah. As we have before so many times on the show, we're going to look at another piece of what I think is part of the the Canadian mythology. You know, Sorry connects to this idea that Canada is nonviolent, it's peacekeeping, and it has a very aw shucks national persona. So we're going to dial back to see if that is true or not. And then we're going to fast forward to the many political apologies we've seen throughout our history. And then we're going to try and answer the questions, do we as Canadians say the word sorry more than anyone else? Okay, I'm I have some guesses about this, but I'm curious to see what you learned. Okay, so I started looking at the history, obviously, because we're a history podcast, and everything I read said Canadians have a lot of British isms because the English made up a vast majority of settlers during contact, and because Brits are also known for being very polite and apologizey, we are too. Case closed, end of article. Yeah, I've read this a lot, too. It seems like a very common theory. Yeah. And even though the British are known for being polite, when you look into the history, you know, British people around the time of contact weren't apologizing on a grand scale. And also, (laughs) you know, if we're so Britishy, we also have to remember that the main contributors to the Canadian population at the time, you know, especially in Ontario and the Maritimes, were actually Americans from after the American Revolutionary War and War of 1812. That's a hard pill to swallow. Okay. We're, we're all okay. just by extension Americans. Oof. Well, I mean, and I don't consider land grabbing and pillaging as things that I would typically consider polite. But, you know, hey, that's just me. Yes. It's just me. I understand. And, you know, the actual meaning of sorry, which is defined by Webster's Dictionary, is to feel regret penitence, sorrow, or sympathy. A sorry is most often associated with conflict resolution. Right. Conflicts arise. Maybe somebody confronts someone or you've made a mistake and you want to resolve it by taking responsibility. So you say, I'm sorry, unless you're on The Real Housewives. Then you don't say, I'm sorry. Or if you do, you really don't mean it. But (laughs) From everything that we know, the foundational beginning of Canada was was anything but conflict-averse or apologetic. Check out our two-part episode in Season 3 called Ganesatake 300 Years Later for more on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, and so this idea that the British passed down sorry and by extension conflict resolution has what I think to be a very sneaky double meaning. Like what the connotation of that conclusion really suggests to me is that before Europeans got here, indigenous people had no idea how to resolve conflict or to apologize to each other. It was that that was a new concept introduced by the British. Hmm. Yeah, well, we know that researchers suggest that there were millions of people here before contact. And you don't get that many people if you're fighting all the time and if you don't have some way of doing conflict resolution. Right. So what would you do or like what were people doing to resolve these well, kind of things? I'm glad you asked, Leah. You know, we would go to war. You know, okay. we'd fight it yeah. out. Sometimes we'd play a game of lacrosse or we'd banish you. It's a very traditional method of conflict resolution that I still partake in. (laughs) I banish people. They just don't know it. 
That's very mature <laughs> maybe and they do. healthy. <laughs> very healthy. Okay, so so history tells us, right, that when the British and French got here in the 1600s, they actually had a very specific alternate way of resolving conflict, and it wasn't by apologizing or saying sorry. Okay. I'm like, I, I want to guess at what they were. Was it like a hot dog eating contest? No, hot dogs, I think. I don't actually know this for sure, but I feel like they came later. <laughs> But great okay, guess. Okay, and pie eating contest, <laughs> possibly. But also, I'm just going to give you the answer here because okay, it's I'll not. Gonna... Keep, I'll just keep. I'll just keep guessing. Eating contest. <laughs> okay, sort of in a way. If eating involves guns and swords, because they were dueling to resolve uh, their conflicts. I think a pie eating contest would be a much better way. I'm just going to put that out there. So yeah, they were dueling. And if we want to get to the core of how early Canadians were solving their problems, it wasn't by pie eating or hot dog eating. It was by <laughs> heading out to a field at dawn. If you were English, you would bring a gun. If you were French, a sword. And then you would count to three and try and kill each other. Oh, well, that's a very different narrative than I'm used to hearing about. Well, let me tell you more about the history of BS, a.k.a. Before Sorry. I never know where this show's going to go. I just I mean, told I try you. to take it I to just hot told dog you it's contest, duels. But... It's duels. Okay, okay. All right, gotcha. Okay. So this was this was happening before Canada was Canada. Yeah, we're talking very early times. So this is the 16th and 17th century, so think guys with beards and weird mustaches. Yeah, as opposed to the 18th century where guys had beards and weird okay, mustaches. duly noted. Yeah, but there were slight differences in the mustache wax, I think. Oh, I see what you did there. Duly noted. <laughs> good. You're good. Um, so think about it like um, the 17th century, what we're talking about is more of the Shakespearean universe. So think huge collars, tight corsets, as opposed to the 1800s, which is more of the Jane Austen universe of Empire Waste and either, you know, Colin Firth or Matthew McFadden running through a field mm -hmm. soaking wet. Right. Those guys are always doused in water in those movies. Always. I'm here for yeah. it. It's excellent. And I, I, I don't it. know, man, because I always just assume they smell bad again. And they're like, then they're wet and they sure. smell bad. That's just where my brain goes. I can't help it. I feel like everyone smelled really bad back then. But I digress. <laughs> Shakespearean times. Yes. Um, it makes sense that, that duels would be a thing then because like there's tons of duels in Shakespeare's plays. I am for you. I beg you, put your sword down. Come, sir. Are you ready? Let's begin. Yeah, that was from the 2013 movie version of Romeo and Juliet. So we know around the mid-1500s, the French start showing up, and New France, now Quebec, is established. 20 or 30 years after that is when the English decide to rename the entire North Coast and call it Rupert's Land. Yes. Rupert's Land was named after this guy named Prince Rupert, who was one of the founders of the Hudson's Bay Company, and I think the originator of the HBC Points card and maybe Bay Days. Yeah, I haven't fact-checked that detail, but why not? Yes, he did that. Anyway, the point was that when the French and English arrived, they were coming from cultures you know, at this time, which were all about honor and class. And one of the ways which upper class noblemen were resolving conflict was to lean on violence over apologies or politeness. And so it was imperative that to defend one's honor when you felt wronged, you had to duel. 
And I found this book called The Duel in Early Modern England, Civility, Politeness, and Honor by Marku Pelotonin. And he explains that the duel over honor was considered a part of courtesy and civility. And it was a big part of the culture, which was all about being in control and repressing emotions. And of course, fighting was also very masculine because emotion wasn't, you know. Yeah, that's right. I mean, emotions are for chicks. <laughs> Duh. Look. Yes, of course. I mean, yes. Um, and, you know, they were stabbing each other and shooting each other over really nothing. This went on for a long time, well into the 18th century. The book explains that one writer of the time wrote that the situation was getting so out of hand because people were constantly insulting each other and then suffering from dueling injuries. Can you read this quote from a critic of dueling at this time, please? "'Tis obvious but melancholy to observe that there are more frequent instances of self-murder and dueling among modern Christians than there are to be found among the ancient heathens more in this Protestant kingdom than in any other part of Christendom." Okay, so the British and the French who were coming here in this time period are coming from countries where dueling is like all the rage. Yes, and they they brought it here. So duels started happening all over the place. And the funny thing is, is that the guys who were dueling were kind of trying to bring the whole I'm an upper class nobleman vibe here when in actuality they would have been really looked down upon because they were not of that class in their respective home countries. I'm not into class warfare, of course, but yeah, they were putting on airs. Like they were really trying to pretend because if they were back home, no one would have cared and it would have been laughed at. So I'm going to give you a few short examples that I read about in the book Murder Among Gentlemen, A History of Dueling in Canada by Hugh Halliday. And by the way, it's a page turner of a book. I'm just going to take your word for that, we read a lot of stuff for this show. <laughs> we a really lot do. of stuff. Okay, okay. So what what are these? What are they fighting over? Well, there were so many to choose from, but overall, I mean, they were mostly over petty things like insults and everyday things like relationships and who was in love with who. Every man in New France and Rupert's land was like, "I'm not throwing away my shot. I'm just like my country. I'm young, scrappy, and hungry, and I'm not throwing away my shot." Okay, no, I see what you're doing here with this Lynn manuel Miranda thing, and you know how I feel about musicals. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. And I am really not a fan. I'm sorry to everyone who likes You're musicals. missing it's, out. It's just not my thing. It, it is a problematic. Any- Hamilton is a problematic musical, I will admit, very. Wouldn't but, know. But Never some of the it. songs are good. <laughs> Okay, so back to the okay. dueling. All back right. To the okay, dueling. so what what are the, what are they dueling about? So yeah, they were dueling about just all sorts of kind of everyday things that we would now just be mad over and probably not talk to the person or just have a conversation about. But yeah, it was a right. Lot like of... I would duel with someone over musicals. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's like I have to defend my honor over the fact that I love them and that you hate them, and okay. and you know gotcha. it wasn't that popular like most people weren't into it but people were very interested in the drama these things would be published in the newspaper and everybody would be like oh my god and of course it had its supporters because i found out that every duel if it was done properly had a guy called a second yeah i've 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 i have heard of this so 
these are like your backup guys. Like, you know, there's the, you know, there's you and mm -hmm. then you got a guy behind you who's mm -hmm. just looking at the rules, you know, cleaning the gun, right. twirling your mustache for <laughs> you, that kind of thing. That's right. Right. That was a, a bit of backup. And, you know, even though it was illegal, law enforcement mostly looked the other way. At the beginning, really from like the 1600s all the way into the 1800s, they just didn't really enforce it. Um, but then, you know, things started to change and society at large started getting fed up with duels. Okay, so what happened then? So, again, lots of fights over relationships, people getting killed and wounded, and then the last fatal duel. Like, duels with, were still going on after this, but the last one where someone died was in 1838. These two dudes, along with their sidekicks and a bunch of onlookers, gathered at the racetrack in Verdun, Quebec. And when the signal came, they both pulled the trigger, and unfortunately, one guy got seriously messed up. They rushed him to a nearby spot, La Pavilion, but sadly, he didn't make it. He died. Now, since dueling was a big no-no in the eyes of the law, and someone kicked the bucket at this time. They had to do an investigation thing. And surprise, surprise, even though there was a whole crowd there, no regular folks would spill the beans about what happened. Desolé. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so the official word was just a guy died from a gun wound inflicted by some mystery person in a duel that morning. And the other guy just walked away scot-free. So did any of them, like, did any of them, like, get to the duel and, like, look each other in the eyes and be like, you know what, bro? And then the other <laughs> bro's like, what, bro? And then he's like, let's not do this, bro. Let's put our stuff down. Like, did any of them end amicably? Yeah. Yeah. I think exactly like that, actually. That was beautiful. <laughs> I just have to say. Thank you. Stunning Thank work. You. Um, yeah. So, you know, around 1836, there was, you know, a couple years before this, there was another almost dual situation. But luckily, it didn't escalate. There were these two politicians, de Blurry and Perot, and they had this intense argument. Things got heated enough for them to decide to settle it out on the battlefield. And so they went out there, stood 12 meters apart, pistols ready to roll. But before things got too wild, their second stepped in and tried to negotiate with them, you know? Eventually, the two politicians saw the light. They agreed to apologize, and they shook hands. And then they even fired the pistols into the air as sort of like, this is a ceasefire. And after that, they all hit up the tavern for a drink before heading to Quebec City. I... I think okay. I, that's how I want to okay. end it. The fire yeah, yeah. into the air happened. I don't know about the tavern, but I'd like yeah, to they were like, what they like bang, bang, bro, Let's, bro. I love you, bro, bro, bro. Let's get a brewski. Desolé, bro. <laughs> so one of the last duels had a very interesting ending. It was in Hamilton, Ontario in 1843. And a doctor by the name of Gerald O'Reilly who was known for flying off the handle and challenging people to duels, got pissed mm -hmm. off, which is very strange for a doctor anyway. But well, I mean, but he wanted to make more clients more money, himself, more money, right? right yeah, exactly. He wanted more people in that waiting room. Exactly. Well, he got very annoyed at this guy named Richard Howell. And that was because Richard Howell publicly published a beef in the local newspaper that said Gerald O'Reilly was a terrible doctor who had ripped him off. And obviously, you know, Richard Howell had not been told that this doctor was a hardcore dueler. And when he realized that, he quickly decided to, <laughs> again, you know, maybe I should apologize this time, yeah, but publicly and huge. So he did it mm -hmm. in print. 
<laughs> okay, I like it. A written apology. Yes, Phelan, can you read the apology that Richard Howell published in the Hamilton newspaper in 1834? I, Richard Howell, having on the 21st January last published a statement reflecting on the professional character of Dr. Gerald O'Reilly of Hamilton, inasmuch as I accused him of extortion in charging me with a sum of four pounds, one shilling, six pence for one visit. Now declare that the whole of the statement, as made by me, was totally without foundation, and now express my deep regret in having been the cause, in any way, of injuring Dr. (laughs) O'Reilly. See? Nice, right? Yeah, I I mean, I'd feel pretty good getting... Yeah, publicly, everyone knows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. So by the following year in 1844, Queen Victoria, who was calling the shots at the time, uh, she changed the law so that there were deeper penalties for dueling because it was it was getting out of hand and people were sick of people just dying everywhere. And that kind of ended it. And so by then, the British, they were, you know, doing other things. Chopping down trees, building railroads, colonizing. Yeah, they were very busy. You know, and they were like, enough with a lot this of dueling. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I can't help but wonder if these quote-unquote Canadian sensibilities, like saying you're sorry to avoid conflict, were, were actually developed here on this land. Yeah, there's this book called A Fair Country, Telling Truths About Canada by John Ralston Saul, where he makes the case that Canada at its core is not an English or French place, but an indigenous one with, you know, English and French sort of melded in. And so the idea of honor and that whole concept seems to be built around a hierarchy. And while not all indigenous groups, you know, run by the same laws and concepts, we know that the idea of resolution through circle, you know, is something that a lot of people prescribe to um, coming to consensus, conflict resolution, and, you know, perhaps one side not compromising. It's, It's an indigenous concept, not a European or British or French one anyway. Right. So it could be that the English and French got here, you know, were doing some shooting and killing of each other, which fed into this old world class hierarchy thing. And by a process of osmosis and observing indigenous society, people started realizing, you know what, there might be a better way than bleeding out in a field because a guy said you were dumb. Bleeding out in a field (laughs) sounds like what I did at a music festival once. (laughs) Never want to get you never want to get your period at a music festival. Trust me. <laughs> I'm Helena Bonham Carter, and for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes, a new series of rarely heard tales from World War II. They had no idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker. We'll hear of daring risk-takers. What she was offering to do was to ski in over the high Carpathian mountains. Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his friend. Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so when it comes to saying sorry, our government, just going to say this, has a lot to apologize for. Oh, yes. And, And it's run a range from regular political stuff... I made a promise to you that I wouldn't touch the green belt. I broke that promise. And for that, I'm very, very sorry. To 
the apology is all about the horrible stuff that Canada has engaged in, like the internment of both Japanese and Italian people during World War II. I speak for members on all sides of the House today in offering to Japanese Canadians the formal and sincere apology to the tens of thousands of innocent Italian Canadians who were labeled enemy aliens. We are sorry. And the apologies to Jewish people that were seeking refuge from the Nazis during the Holocaust. We apologize to the 907 German Jews aboard the MS St. Louis. We are sorry for the callousness of Canada's response. We are sorry for not apologizing soon. There was also the apology to Chinese Canadians for the head tax. It took 121 years for Canada's Chinese community to hear these words. In Cantonese, Canada is sorry. And, of course, the apology for residential schools. The government of Canada sincerely apologizes and asks the forgiveness of the Aboriginal peoples of this country for failing them so profoundly. We are sorry. Yes, and I'm just going to add this one as well. I know I embarrassed everyone in this city, and I will be forever sorry. Okay, that last one was very Toronto-specific and maybe not that important, but I thought I would throw it in there. Hmm. Yeah, of course. I mean, it is in the pantheon of iconic apologies, so I get it. The fact that our government has so much to apologize for maybe, you know, maybe undercuts the idea that Canada is like this nice, polite place because obviously the country has done a lot of bad stuff. Yeah. And and nowadays there's just this huge range of public apologies. You know, there's the celebrity apology. I want to say I am so sorry to the people who were affected. I apologize. My behavior was unacceptable. I deeply apologize to writers. I deeply apologize to unions. I don't expect to be forgiven. I'm just here to apologize. And the political one as well. I'm deeply sorry and I apologize unreservedly to the people of Toronto, my staff, my colleagues on City Council and the public service for whom I have such respect. Because, you know, in the end it's about the public and controlling a message or a perception. They are public because they're meant for public consumption, for us to consume them. Yes, right. Okay. So it's not to say that they didn't come from a genuine place, but it's also good to be mindful of who the audience for them is and why. But now I want to know, do Canadians actually apologize more? A lot. Do they do it a lot? Are they doing it more than everyone else? Okay, so I turned to the academic world and went back, deep dive back into the definition again to start with the British of it all. I know, I know. We're just going to nerd out here for a second. So the word sorry has its roots in Old English, where it meant distressed, grieved, or full of sorrow. However, Brits nowadays use it pretty casually. Edwin Battistella, a language expert, points out that Brits might say sorry more often, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're super remorseful. They use it for different reasons, like expressing empathy or bridging social gaps. 
Brits use sorry in a way that might seem odd to Americans, but maybe more familiar to us. So in British culture, showing respect without intruding on someone's personal space is highly valued, which linguists call negative politeness. So meanwhile, (laughs) (laughs) I like that. (laughs) I want that on a shirt. Well, meanwhile, Americans lean more towards positive politeness, emphasizing friendliness and group belonging. So when a Brit says sorry, that's my British accent, when a Brit says sorry to strangers, it's often a way to be polite, like asking for information, like, uh, sorry, can you direct me to this, that and the other thing, which, you know, to Americans comes off as weird But it's all about navigating those social norms. So the author suggests that Brits sometimes use sorry excessively and it can be confusing for outsiders, which makes things, you know, a bit tricky. I kind of love that, though. I find that so fascinating. And I do. And like, totally. I think absolutely. I feel like I do this. Well, I have to say the reason I wanted to do this episode is because I have a a close friend of mine who's Persian. He speaks eight languages. And when he moved to Canada years ago, he said he was completely confused at how Canadians use sorry. Like he was thinking the the straight up definition, right? So when someone Mm -hmm. bumps into you and says sorry, or uh, wants you to move and says, sorry, he, he was like, I didn't understand what was going on. Like, I had to ask all my friends. So I, I, it, it's interesting. I think we have that correlation with British people. But I found through another study about our Canadian sorriness um, that there's a little bit more nuance. The study is called Apologies in French and English by Kate Beeching. And the results were that Canadians say sorry as much as the British and possibly a little less than Americans. Really? Mm-hmm. Less than Americans. I'm, I'm surprised by that. It kind of blew my mind as well. Hmm. The caveat being that one of the things they found is that it's basically really hard to do these studies with everyday people, right? Because if you tell someone, we want to study how much you say sorry, people become very aware of it and then maybe either don't say it or say it too much. So what they did to study this is they turned to entertainment and they looked at dialogue from Canadian, American and British television and movies like scripted and unscripted. And what they found was actually Americans use the word sorry way more in their television and movie dialogue and Canadians and British less. Part of me wonders if that's because Canadians who are working on Canadian TV shows are acutely aware of this idea that Canadians say sorry more. So part of me wonders that. I totally thought the same. No, I totally thought the same thing. I was like, maybe Canadian writers are trying not to write the word sorry. Mm -hmm. But they were able to find a couple of things, too, about people in day-to-day language. And... In day-to-day language, the British and Canadians apologize more than the Americans apologize. So it, it it's a small hmm. incremental difference. It's not a huge cultural gap like we think it is, though. Okay, so then I wonder if our perception of apologizing is us telling ourselves that maybe we're nicer, you know? Like, is that what we're doing here? We're telling ourselves that we say sorry more so that we can tell ourselves that we are nicer than 
Americans. I think so. Yeah, I think so. I <laughs> that think feels so. very Canadian. It feels real on brand. You know, we tell ourselves mm-hmm. all of these things to kind of define ourselves from Americans. Mm-hmm. And some of them are true and some of them are not. But based on the evidence I found, I don't think that we apologize as much as anyone else. Sorry. Q <laughs> Bieber. Q Justin Bieber. Because we obviously need yes. to hear the definitive Canadian song on sorriness. I don't know. I feel like we should settle this. We should finish this episode with a duel. Leah, do you want a duel? Sure, but it has to be over something. I don't like your shirt today. Oh, you don't like my negative, what is it like, negative... <laughs> politeness. Politeness. Right. <laughs> negative politeness shirt. All right. Well, I don't like musicals, so Okay, let's... good. Okay, but we're, okay. I don't want to do it, obviously, with anything very violent. So how about Nerf balls or, or maybe pillows? Pillows? Yeah, okay. Yeah, sure. Pillows. Why not? This episode of The Secret Life of Canada was written and produced by me, Leah Simone Bowen. And me, Phelan Johnson, with sound design and editing by Graham McDonald. Script editing is by Yvette Nolan, with research assistance by Andrea Eidinger and CBC Archives. Our logo is by Badawogan Illustration and Design. For CBC Podcasts, the coordinating producer is Roshni Nair. The executive producers are Cecil Fernandez and Chris Oak. And Tanya Springer is the senior manager. The director of CBC Podcast is RF Narani. You can find us on Instagram at The Secret Life of Canada, and our full show notes and links are on our website at cbc.ca slash secretlife. Reach us also by email at secretlifeofcanada at cbc.ca. And continue the conversation on Spotify, where we are polling listeners on what they think is the reason Canadians apologize. If you learned something in this episode, please share it with a friend and follow us on Facebook at Secret Life of Canada. Thanks for exploring Canada's hidden history with us. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.